lot of the times, well, we as a church uh, and we as people assume that suffering is a result of God, as I mentioned before. You know, we say that God is all-knowing, God is powerful, um, God has plans for our lives, right? And this kind of language that we use as a church makes it almost seem that, well, if that's the case, then God really does know everything. That means when we run into suffering and issues and evil, then God must have already prefabricated those things along our life so that we would run into it. And so that's why we get this notion that, oh, it's God that created this evil and suffering, right? One of the things that bothers me the most is when people say like, oh, well, God is doing this to you. Like God is like, there's like a, there's a reason why God doing this, is doing this to you. And that paints a very like, like very scary kind of image of God, if you think about it, right? And I really don't appreciate it because when people say that, it paints and distorts the image of God completely. It makes it seem like God is an evil tyrant trying to get after you and really trying to like mess up your life, right? Um, and now these sayings like all-knowing, all-powerful, you know, God is everywhere, like this kind of saying, I'm not trying to say that these are wrong or we shouldn't be using those sayings. They're very true and they are attributes of who God is, right? They're part of his character. Um, but the implications is what I'm talking about, right? The implications we pull from saying these kind of things really puts a bad image or puts God in a really bad situation. And we taint the image of the God that we worship. Um, now, hear me out. We have to understand um, when it comes to talking about evil and suffering and trying to explain and understand it, we have to understand that evil and suffering is not a one-sided thing, but it's a multifaceted thing. There's many different sides to evil and suffering that we have to break apart. And so there are three different kinds of suffering that I would like to talk to you guys about to help you better understand and help you to see a clearer picture of what suffering is. And by understanding different types of suffering, it'll allow us to better understand the character of God. And so the three kinds of suffering are uh, suffering from God, suffering from Satan, and suffering from sin. And we're going to talk uh, beginning with the suffering from God. Now, first of all, this, this statement almost seems very like oxymoron. It's very contradictory, right? How does suffering come from God, right? Jumbo shrimp, right? Uh, like, uh, I, I thought of another one, but I, I won't share it. Um, but anyway, it's a very, con it's a huge contradiction, right? How can God and suffering be in the same sentence, right? But I think we need to ask ourselves another question before we, we start creating this uh, uh, improper or the incorrect image of God. In what sense is suffering from God? In what sense is suffering from God? If you think about it, uh, think about and reflect on your own life. When you think of your own life or um, in the life of those that are, are good Christians or people that diligent, diligently go to church, we know that the reality of life is that everyone experiences suffering. Everyone goes through hardship, right? Uh, and people suffer one way or the other. And that's just the reality of life, right? I don't think there's anyone in this world that has... Uh, been without suffering, right? I think we all encounter suffering, whether you are a holy man or whether you are the most evil person on this earth, we all encounter some kind of suffering, right? Um, but the biggest question we have to ask uh, when we think about this is, is the suffering caused by God or is the suffering only countenanced by him? 
Okay, think about this, right? There are many times when we look at suffering and think, God, you're some crazy man upstairs just trying to make life miserable for us, right? Like, why is he doing this? But I want you to know, we do not serve a God that is hungry for our suffering, right? That enjoys seeing us in pain, right? We don't serve a God like that, right? He is like a parent that wants the best for his children. Now, if you are a parent, um, this is very relatable. And you know that sometimes your children will not, I say will not, and maybe cannot learn certain lessons when things are going well, right? And for me as a child, I can understand that very well, right? Being a child to my parents, I understood that there are certain things that I could not learn when things were all smooth sailing and everything was great, right? This is it. This is the point, right? There were times when it was in my difficulties and suffering that I learned valuable lessons in life and it could have only been learned in moments like those, right? Even though I'm not a parent, I have a cat... Uh, if you didn't know, I have a cat named Mango, and she's turning one next week, actually, which is, I think, crazy for me. Um, but she's somewhat like a kid to me. You know, I talk to her like a kid. I'm not like a crazy person or anything. Uh, but, you know, I, I talk to her and I treat her like my little baby girl. Uh, and when when I first got her, uh, as if you also know, like I have a zoo at my house. And so I have like uh, an aquarium. I had multiple aquariums. I only have one here at the moment. And I have a few at uh, my office at church. But um, when I first got her, one thing that she really liked to do was sit on top of the aquariums because I used to have like towels on top of my little fish tanks. And there were uh, times when she started to get curious. And so she started to try getting into the fish tanks by opening the lids. Um, and uh, I would always tell her, obviously, she's a cat. So, you know, I don't speak cat, but... Uh, you know, I would tell her like, Mango, no, like, don't go in there. Like, you don't want to do that. Don't go in there. Uh, and there was one time I was cleaning the fish tank and she jumped in. Uh, and obviously she was uh, surprised out of her mind uh, because she did not know that it was water. Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of odd. But anyways, she realized that she did not like that. And ever since then, uh, she has never gone into my fish tank. Right. There are certain lessons that my cat Mango will never learn unless she goes through a difficult time, as in being in that fish tank full of water with whatever, you know, scared as well. But anyway, she never jumps in. And I think this is very true with Jesus as well. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says this. It says, even Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, wait a second, right? We think, oh, it's Jesus. Jesus knows everything. But Hebrews is very clearly saying, Jesus, the guy that was sinless, the guy that was perfect, he learned obedience through what? Through his suffering. Through the things which he suffered. Okay? Which means that even us as sinful human beings, like this is even more like relevant to us. Ellen G. White says this very beautifully in uh, Ministry of Healing, the Ministry of Healing book that she wrote, uh, page 471. This is what, let me read this to you. Okay. He who, re- he who reads the hearts of men knows their characters better than they know themselves, know them, themselves know them. He sees that some have powers and susceptibilities which rightfully directed might be used in the advancement of his work. In his providence, he brings these persons into different positions and various circumstances that they may discover 
in their character the defects which have been concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them opportunity to correct those defects and to fit them fit themselves for his service. Often he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be purified. That last sentence though. Often he permits the fires of affliction. Now wait a second, okay? There's a big thing that we have to understand. There's a difference between God permitting trials and God producing trials, okay? We must make a very clear distinction between those two statements. God permitting trials and God producing trials. Now, this is very interesting because if you look through the narrative of the Bible, you'll notice that the biblical authors are very clear on their understanding of God. Very surprisingly, if you look at the Bible as a whole, you'll see that. Uh, And they understand very clearly that there are times in which God produces trials, uh, or not produces, he permits trials. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, let's look at Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Let's read through this really quickly. And this is what it says. Hebrews 5, uh, 12, 5 to 11, it says, And you have forgotten uh, the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastising of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chast- chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7, if you endure chastising, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastising, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and life? And live and live, for they indeed for a few days chastised us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now hold up, okay. First of all, uh, well, first of all, chastise, uh, chasten. Right or ch- chastisement or chasten basically means to like discipline, right, or to punish. Okay, and to scourge basically is like like to whip. Okay, now this is really interesting. I thought this was really interesting. Okay, the book of Hebrews is very clear, and it makes it very clear, and it uses this analogy of of a father to a son, uh, that if a parent truly loves their child, they will in some way and at some level discipline their children. Right, and if you are a parent, you understand. If you're a child and you've been disciplined by your parent, you know, right? Uh, some of you may think like, "Oh, well, they don't love me. Like, why are they beating me? Or like, why are they telling me to do this or that?" Right? Uh, but, but no, like, true love from a parent to a child involves discipline. Okay? Basically, in short, this is what the he- what Hebrews is saying. Okay, he's saying this: Be happy when you suffer, because God is treating you like a son whom he seriously, deeply loves, right? And, and good follows suffering. So the next time we see suffering, rather than automatically assuming like, oh, it's God, right? God doesn't care for us. God, God is making these difficulties for me and making my life miserable. Maybe we need to look at the possibility that God is simply permitting these difficulties in order for us to be able to know him better, 
which in turn allows us to love him and love others more. Think about that. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm not trying to say that we simply need to look at all the evil and the suffering in this world as, as like God is just trying to, to build a better relationship with you and I, or he's trying to make it so that, that, he, that we know him better, right? Um, but I do think that our mentality and our perspective on suffering is that, uh, that if we think that God doesn't care for me or God doesn't love me, then we in, in turn create a very ugly picture of God. Right? Who in reality is like this father who, who loves us and is simply allow, or permitting discipline or disciplining us so that uh, we can grow closer to him. And some things can only be learned the hard way. Right? Let me give you an example. Um, so while I grew up, uh, I never really learned things the easy way. I always learned things the hard way. I don't know if it was because it was like the only son kind of syndrome or if I just was just rebellious by nature. Like, I wasn't really sure. Uh, but growing up, um, or even my peers, like if they would tell me to do something because it was right, uh, like half the time I never really listened to them, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. It would literally go in one ear and out the other. Um, but it was, for me, the biggest turning points in my, my growing up life was when I encountered like difficult times and, and uh, adversity or struggles and that really just like shook my world and changed my perspective. And that's when I really like learned, right? Uh, there was a time when my father and I went on this uh, in, in Alaska, uh, something called the men's retreat. And I'm sure they have things like that down here as well. Um, but they had a men's retreat and Alaska men's retreats, if you can imagine with me, are not like typical, like, oh, let's just go to the hotel and like, uh, let's just listen to like seminars and things like that. It's like, we're going to go out into the middle of nowhere and have a retreat in the middle of nowhere, right? And so uh, Alaska's men's retreat would always go to this place um, uh, called Caribou Creek. Uh, and it was in the Talkeetna Mountains. And uh, I'm sure like these things, you're like, what is that? Like, I've never even heard of that. Uh, basically, it's a six hour drive by car from uh, the city that I lived in. And then it was like another few hours, two or three hours, depending on how fast you went on a four wheeler or an ATV in order to get to the, the campsite, which was a uh, it was like a plot of land for like mining and things like that. Um, and he has like a little cabin out there or one of the guys out there. Uh, and so Every year, like third week of July, I believe, or June or July, they go out there to have their retreat. Now, this is the thing. When you're going out there, uh, you're literally going through mountains. Like, it's literally in this mountain range. It's extremely beautiful. Um, if I could take you guys and show you guys uh, the beauty of Alaska, like, this is it. This is, like, real Alaska. This is the stuff you see on National Geographic. But, like, you have to go through mountains. There's like really steep hills. There's rivers that you have to go to that go to, you know, uh, almost nearly my height. And you're driving on ATVs through this. It's like muddy and it's just a terrible, you know, experience. And um, my father loved going out there. Uh, I, frankly speaking, did not enjoy it as much. We went like three or four times. But every time we would come back, I would have nightmares for weeks. Like I would be very traumatized. And if I think about it, like... Like, it's probably one of the most traumatic things that I had to do with my father uh, every summer for like three or four years. Now, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy my time with my father. I love my father to death uh, and I really enjoyed the time I spent out there. But it really was traumatizing as a 14 year old kid. Uh, but anyways, I think it was about the second year when we went. 
Um, and I started to think that, oh, like I'm in my big boy shoes now. Like I just got my driving permit. Like I can drive now. Uh, like I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I'm an independent young man, right? Uh, and so I thought I knew better than my dad. Uh, and I thought I knew the trails. We had been out here before. I knew how to get there. Uh, I knew the new about the knowabouts of the Alaskan wilderness. Uh, and so. Uh, instead of uh, our family, we didn't have the traditional four-wheeler that you ride like you're riding on a horse, but it was more like a golf cart. Uh, it had like big wheels. It had like a little uh, roll cage on top. And it's like literally like a, a Alaskan golf cart uh, made for the, the tough terrains. And so I remember we were driving that. My dad was in the passenger seat and I was uh, uh, in the driver's seat. And we were going and as I told you there's like mountains and so when there's uphills obviously there's going to be downhills and these are really steep I would say like you know I'm not really good with geometry or anything but I would say like 75 80 degree like downhill like slopes but the thing is is because of like erosion and things like that and the rains and stuff that there would be these huge crevices and I remember there was a time where I thought like dude like I know better like I'm I'm real Alaskan you know uh, and so I thought that I could really show my dad like I knew what I was doing. And he told me, I remember he told me, he said, Tim, do not, do not drive in those crevices while you're going downhill. It's too dangerous. Don't drive in the crevices and do not go fast. I remember very clearly. And as we're, you know, at the top of this hill, I'm like, yeah, okay, we go down, right? And thinking to myself, like, dude, this is a piece of cake. I'll just go really fast. Uh, I, I hit it. Like, I'm, I'm, like, going down this hill. My dad's, like, grabbing on and freaking out. Uh, and I decide that, well, dude, I'll just drive in the crevice. I'll show my dad I'm better. Uh, and that was the biggest mistake of my life because we went in and it flipped forward and it flew. And, you know, we had seatbelts on. So we're, like, tossed down this, this mountain and... Uh, it falls on the passenger side and my dad is like stuck. His leg is like, like trapped and uh, like I'm hanging there and like, you know, my frail 14, 15 year old body is just hanging there, you know, as the passenger side is down there. And like, you know, obviously uh, I obviously listen to my dad more now. Um, but anyway, uh, I really wish I wasn't that stubborn, but um yeah, ever since then, uh, I never drive down crevices like that, uh, and I never go fast. And I hope you get my point with this, this simple story. Sometimes we do not learn valuable lessons until we face some kind of trial in our lives. It could be moments of despair that these kind of lessons are learned. Right? Now, the next kind of suffering that I want to talk about is suffering from Satan. Now, we have to realize and acknowledge that suffering is a result of Satan's direct attacks, right? Satan can directly attack us if he chose to. If we look through scriptures, we see stories and it's very clear that Satan is this powerful uh, being and an enemy of both God and of us as humanity. And if you look at the name of Satan itself, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that Satan's name literally means an adversary or the one who withstands, right? And who's withstanding against God and us. Right? The Bible describes Satan as a serpent and a roaring lion. Right, So it's clear that Satan causes suffering. Without doubt in my mind, that if we look at the Bible and we look at this world, that some suffering is simply created uh, because of Satan. Right? So it would, be, it would be wrong to say that it was only God that created uh, and caused suffering. Right? 
Um, and I think one of the clearest pictures that we have of Satan causing suffering and creating it is in the story of Job, right? And I've shared with you guys in a sermon a while back and one of my first sermons here at Glendale Korean Church, uh, where Satan is basically having this conversation with God, right? And you can imagine this picture and they pinpoint Job and Satan says like, look, I'm going to make Job miserable and he's going to curse you and he's not going to worship you anymore. And God's like, okay, let's see it. Right. And we see Satan going about wreaking havoc on the life of Job. And as he's doing this, we see that in the midst of Satan, uh, Satan's attacks, uh, God is permitting these things to happen. And in the midst of that, what does Job do? Job sees it as simply you know, God, like, it's all you. Like, I still worship you, even though this may be happening, right? Um, You see, Satan produces suffering very clearly. But one thing we have to remember uh, is that not only does Satan's suffering look like what we see in Job's story of destruction, of pain uh, that he brought to Job, but Satan's suffering can be masked as something that looks good, right? Think about this. Satan can bring things about like pleasure and prosperity with the goal in order to uh, accomplish or to in order to accomplish his long term goal, which is to either eternally kick us out forever out of heaven to keep us away from that and to uh, prevent us from having a love relationship with God. Think about it. When you look at the beginning of time in the very beginning of, 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 of human existence, right? Satan in the mask of a serpent deceived Adam and Eve with the forbidden fruit, which looked uh, delicious, right? But as we know, uh, the story doesn't end too well, right? Now, Uh, Hear me out. Before I say what I'm about to say, please do not misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Okay, listen carefully. Satan will bless us if by blessing us, he is blinding us. And the flip side is also true. God's cup is not always the sweetest cup. Right. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. Before Jesus was taken away to be crucified, Jesus had to drink from this bitter, terrible cup. Right. And even Jesus says, Lord, take this cup away from me, okay? Now get this, this is the catch. Satan may permit blessings to blind, and God also may permit blessings or blindness to bless. I'll say that one more time. Satan may permit blessings to blind, and God may permit blindness to bless. I almost said that wrong, okay? Now, honestly, this sounds kind of scary, right? If we really think about that. And because it brings up the question, Wait, then how do I know which one is from God and which one is from Satan? How do I know God is like trying to bless me or if it's Satan trying to bless me in order to trick me? Right now, I think a general rule of thumb that we should keep is that Satan is only as strong in our lives as we allow him to be. Let me say that again. Satan is only as strong in our lives as we allow him to be. Okay. When you play in Satan's playground, you are bound to fall in his traps, right? Think about Adam and Eve. It wasn't until humans strayed off into his part of the garden, right, that they fell into the force of his lies. Maybe if Eve and Adam hadn't gone that close to that part of town, right, maybe he would have been less powerful, right? If they had avoided that temptation altogether and not wandered to that part of the garden, maybe things would have been different. So I think we as Christians have to understand this, that yes, we live in a world in which Satan is wreaking havoc. So we're basically in his playground, right? And if we play here, 
we're bound to get beaten up, right? If you play with fire, you're bound to get burned, right? Uh, and of course, that doesn't mean that when you're only in his neighborhood or in his vicinities that you're going to uh, be attacked. But one thing that we can do to significantly limit that is by staying away from that part of the neighborhood, right? So, so I, I don't know if I need to really explain that in detail, but think about it. If we put ourselves in environments and situations in which Satan can, can tempt us and to destroy us and to attack us, then, you know, why are we surprised that Satan is, is going out after us? Now, what does staying away from his Satan's neighborhood look like? Look at James 4, verse 7. This is what it says. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But why will he flee? Is it because you're a scary person? Is it because you know his tricks because I've shared it with you? No, it's because it's Christ that's within you, right? This is why it's so important to be a part of God's family, right? This is why I think we as Christians need to cling on closer to Christ because it's Christ that will lessen the pain and the suffering that Satan is trying to inflict on you, okay? Paul understood this very well, right? And the New Testament writers really got this. Look at Colossians 2 verse 15. This is what it says. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them in it. Right? It's this power in which Christ has victory over them in the dying act of Jesus on the cross. Right? And that's what allows Satan or gives ammunition for us to Satan for him to flee from us. Now, the last type of suffering that I want to talk about is suffering from sin. Now, sin always has some terrible consequences, right? Whether or not it's immediate or whether it comes down the road, sin has consequences. I think we can all agree on that, right? And one of the worst consequences of sin is basically death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, right? So some people say, okay, well, I sin, like, you know, I do something wrong, but I don't die right away. Uh, and sure, you may not die right away, but the path to that inevitable end comes with pain, suffering, heartache, despair. You see, it's most important that we understand that a lot of the world's suffering that we see today, I would say most, comes from our free choices uh, as people who choose to sin, right? A lot of suffering that we experience is a result of our sinful actions, our sinful desires, our sinful tendencies. The suffering we see in this world, reality is, comes from us, right? Now remember, sin isn't always negative, just as I uh, described Satan's suffering. Uh, and it doesn't always have to look terrible and unpleasing. If anything, sin is more pleasing than it is unpleasing, right? Uh, I shared this story with my Monday Bible study uh, this past week as an example of, of the giants that we face in our lives. But I think this is a very relevant example when it comes to talking about sin as well. Now, there's a story of a lady who got eaten by her pet tiger in like 2006 or sometime around then. Uh, and that's crazy. And the first question that should come to our minds is not uh, like, oh, like, like, why did the tiger attack the, the owner? It's why does she have a pet tiger in the first place, right? Uh, at least that's the first question that comes to my mind. Uh, and I'm sure there's many different stories of maybe why she, maybe she was caring for it, taking care of it or whatever. Uh, but this is how I think the story could have gone. 
I'm sure when she first saw the child, uh, the child, the the tiger baby, he was like, oh, it's all cute and cuddly, like, oh, like it's so playful, like, oh, it's so cute when it nibbles on my hand, right? Uh, and she probably gave it like a really cute name. She took care of it, let it grow. Uh, but we have to remember that it's not just a baby. It's a, it's a tiger, right? It's a, it's a predator. It's something that eats meat, right? It eats, it'll eat a human, right? In, in, in the wild. Uh, and so the moment it started to get bigger, I'm sure things started to get a little bit more serious. Those little nibbles on the hand weren't nibbles anymore, but maybe like chunks of skin or uh, flesh started to come off, right? Uh, to the point where eventually... Uh, her pet tiger kills her, right? And you may think, Pastor, okay, what's the point? This is the point. Sin does not always look as uh, ferocious and scary like a tiger or a lion or some kind of beast. Sometimes sin comes packaged to us as this adorable, innocent, not harmful in any way kind of thing, right? But the reality is this. In the packaging, sin also comes with pain. It's packaged with pain. Pain may not be immediate, but pain is an inevitable part of sin, the pain and suffering that we experience. Uh, and that's something that we have to be really careful when we think about, right? The sheer fact that sin's consequences doesn't always come immediately uh, causes a lot of problems, right? And especially with younger people, I notice that, that uh, and of course, younger people or older people as well, uh, Satan uses this as his advantage, right? Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against the evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You see, we as human beings fall into this temptation and thought process as well right? I'm not dying now. I'm not suffering now. Like I could, I could do this or I could do that. Right. And that's not going to hurt me now. Right. Like I think the most easy example to use is the ideal of smoking or like vaping. Right. A young person starts to smoke, maybe thinking like, dude, I look so cool when I do this. Like, oh, my, all my friends are doing this. Or if you want to be a part of this crew, then you need a vape or smoke or, oh, like, you know, everyone does it. So why not me? Right. And then one week later they have lung cancer. Right. No, it doesn't work that way. Not at all, right? Smoking happens when you start smoking or vaping. You start when you're like 16, 17, 18, right? And then when you're 40, 50, 60, or even sooner, uh, that's when you start getting affected. The, the results of smoking and vaping doesn't come immediately. It comes much more later down the road. So sin has consequences. Let's be very clear, church. Sin has consequences. And the ultimate consequence of sin is death. And because of the sin that we purposely commit, we find ourselves dealing with the pain, the suffering, the hurt, the despair that comes packaged with sin. And suffering is a result of our own doing. Now, I think the message would be odd if I ended it there. I know it's a little bit long. So I want to conclude with this final part. I think it's very clear, and hopefully it's been very clear to you, uh, that I'm preaching a message that God is clearly leading us through the trials, right? And we talked last week about Psalms 23, how God not only leads us through green pastures and still waters, but of the valley, the shadow of the valley of death, right? So it's very clear that God also leads us to and through these trials and tribulations. Think about the Israelites, right? Did they not have difficulties while wandering through the desert, right? I'm sure they did, but who led them there? It was God, right? God was leading them. When you look at the temptations of Jesus, in Luke 4, verse 1 to 2, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
right? Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Okay, now, like, Jesus was being led by who? It wasn't Satan. It was the Spirit. Or in other words, it was God. God was leading Jesus into the wilderness. Think about this. Elijah was led to the book Cherith, right? And eventually that brook dried up. But who led him there? It was God. Daniel was led into having a high-ranking leadership position in the Medo-Persian Empire and then being eventually thrown into the lion's den, right? Who led Daniel to that position? God. Joseph, man, Joseph is probably the greatest story, right? Cherished son to a boy that started having these dreams given by God to having siblings who ended up despising him for that and then becoming a slave. Who led Joseph that direction? It started with God. You see, when it comes to suffering, we understand. I think anyone living in this world will get it, okay? We would understand that evil and suffering is simply the reality in which we deal with, right? That's not the problem, okay? We're no longer surprised when we see evil and suffering in this world. The problem in our mind now becomes who is doing all of this, right? And very clearly, we see in the Bible narrative that God leads his people into these sticky situations. Now, Joseph says something that's very interesting that kind of is the highlight uh, of, of his story, but also really highlights the character of God, right? And it's Genesis 50 verse 20. I really like this. For young people, this is social media worthy. It says this, But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. For reals, you guys, this is a hallelujah, amen point, right? God meant it for good. And I think a beautiful takeaway from this is the fact that through the trials and tribulations that we may face, that in which we endure in God's strength and when we trust in God's leading, it always gives way to some kind of testimony. Just as we look at Joseph's life, as he reflected on everything that had happened, he realizes that this is an opportunity to save many people, right? Just as Joseph lived out his life of ups and downs as God led him, he realized that God was going to use it for good. Now hear me out. This whole sermon may have felt like a downer, Right? You may be thinking, okay, pastor, like, now what? What's next? How do I cope and deal with this in real life? What's the practical takeaway? Well, I'm glad you asked. And even if you didn't ask, I'm going to tell you. Right? This is the takeaway. If you don't remember anything, remember this. Okay? Our endurance through times of difficulty and suffering is found in the confidence we have in God's leading. You see, this confidence of knowing how God is leading in our life only comes through knowing God personally, and knowing God daily, right? Hear this. The best way to check if God is leading you today is to ask yourself the question, was God leading me yesterday? Okay, if you can answer yes to that question, then you can have confidence that God will lead you today. God promises that he will continue to lead us. But if you answer no, or you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure, then what guarantee do you have? That if you're not sure if God was leading you yesterday, that God can lead you today, right? You see, this is the thing. If you answered no or if you were not sure, you have to remember your ability to push through and to deal with suffering today really depends on your daily walk with God. Okay, Daily, not once a week, like come to church or listen to the sermon, listen to me rant for 40 minutes or preach to you for 40, 50 minutes, okay? It's your daily walk with God. 
It's because your daily walk with Christ is what builds that confidence in which we can push through with the evil and suffering that we see in our world today. And some of you guys may be thinking, okay, how do I achieve it? How do I make this a reality? How do I get that confidence? Like maybe I'm not feeling confident now, but how do I get that, right? You see, confidence in God's leading comes from knowing God's voice. And by knowing God's voice, we have to commit to doing these spiritual practices that I talked about in my last series with you guys, right? Whether it be reading the Bible, finding a time of silence, right? Going into that secret place to find God who is waiting for you, okay? That's how you hear God's voice and understand God's voice, which in turn gives you confidence. One really short example that I'll give as I wrap up today. Um, uh, when I first started to learn Korean, uh, I learned it in 2009. I couldn't speak Korean at all. Uh, but I attended uh, one of the Korean uh, high schools um, out in Korea, in Seoul, so that I could learn Korean. I, I asked my mom to send me so that I could in, in, indulge myself into uh, the culture and to the people and to really force myself to use the language. Uh, but um, one of the things they say about learning a new language is to get a boyfriend or girlfriend that speaks that language, right? Uh, and so that's what I did when I was in high school, okay? That's a long time ago. Uh, but one of the ways that I learned Korean was by getting a girlfriend. Now, you know, obviously I could just, you know, speak to her in English if I wanted to, but if I really wanted to get to know her, what I had to do was is I had to learn the language, right? In the same way when it comes to learning God's language, you have to spend time daily. You have to take the time to get into the nick grit and say like, you know, I really want to have a relationship with God. And in doing so, we build our confidence in knowing that, yes, if God was leading me yesterday, if God has led me before, God will lead me now. And so when we look at the suffering and evil in this world, I pray that you don't associate that all with simply as just God. And you paint an ugly picture of who God's real character is but that you see that there's multiple facets of what suffering is. And that even in the suffering, that we can continue to cling on to God and have the confidence in His leading and trust in His providence that even if we experience evil and suffering, that we have a God that will continue to lead us through and lead us to that place called His home. Church, I pray that as we see a world of suffering, that we aren't trapped in this one dimension kind of understanding that maybe God doesn't like us or doesn't care. But I pray that you can see that there's so much more complicated that it may be perceived. But in the midst of the suffering and evil, that God will turn it for good and that we'll be able to cling on to Him confidently based on our walk with Him.